I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. A couple of months ago, I was asked to be a guest on the Socially Unacceptable podcast. I've been on lots of podcasts before, but when I listened back, I was struck by how much the hosts, Chris Norton and Will Ockenden, had got out of me. Without saying too much, they drew out of me a lot of my backstory, and I opened up about some of the things in my past that I don't normally talk about. Like the times my wife and I had £30 to buy a week's worth of groceries and the time we were very close to losing our home, which was all related to a previous failed business venture. Now, this is the last digital download show of the year, and so, just for something different, I thought I'd run that entire episode of Socially Unacceptable here for you. Chris and Will have created something different with their podcast, which is one of the things we discuss in the show. They've created something that's not only unique, in that they encourage their guests to talk about their mistakes and what they've learned from them, but that also demonstrates their personalities. It's serious, but also not at all serious. That makes it a great listen, and I thoroughly recommend listening to more of their shows once you're done here. But before we dive in, I just want to say a quick but heartfelt thank you for the response to Digital Download coming back a few months ago after a year's hiatus. That means a lot to me, and I'm currently looking at shows for 2024. If there's anything that you think we should be covering next year, then please do let me know about it. And in the meantime, have a wonderful Christmas. Now, on with Socially Unacceptable. Welcome to Socially Unacceptable, from f***ups to fame, the marketing podcast that celebrates the professional mishaps, mistakes and misjudgments while delivering valuable marketing and life lessons in the time it takes you to eat your lunch. Do you want to introduce yourself then and just tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course. Um, So my name is Paul Sutton. I am a digital marketing consultant. Um, I've been working independently now for nine years, coming up to 10 years, it'll be next year, which is pretty mind-blowing, actually. Um, prior to that, I worked in agencies. So I worked in agencies for uh, God knows how many years before that as a, as kind of your in-house digital person, I guess. Um, my Originally, I was in PR, and then I think we're going to talk this about today at some stage, but I, I left to join the e-commerce world and, and basically learned a hell of a lot so that when I eventually went back to agency land, I had all these skills that no one else seemed to have. So it led me down this career of, of digital marketing, really, as it relates to comms as well, which is there's a distinct difference, I think, the way advertising people and SEO people treat certain things like social for example and the way a comms person comes at social so i have that comms head if you like and come at things from a comms angle and yeah it stood me in good stead so far so you know fingers crossed another 10 years and i can retire <laughs> so you um we've done a bit of digging on your on your cv as uh, which, which, <laughs> right. which is our job yep. so uh, okay don't be fearful um so you started in PR about 2004, is that right? So was that a traditional, was that a kind of a traditional PR role, if you like? Yeah, yeah. Um, it would have been, 
I mean, going back further than that, I started out, my first ever job was in uh, an investment management company working in the marketing department. It wasn't PR related, but in marketing. Um, and after that, I joined a, a marketing agency and I was there for about five years. But that role led down the PR route just by the nature of the sort of clients I had at that time. And from there on, went into sort of PR and PR agencies. So, so yeah, it's, um, it's where I've kind of grown up and cut my teeth really is, is PR agency land, I suppose. And then you took a, took a kind of a move to becoming a creative director. Is that right? Yes. So within one of these agencies that I, I was working for, I can't remember the dates of this time, but I started getting involved in things like website design and, uh, things like at that time, it was more about brochures and, and all that side of stuff because the internet was there, but it wasn't really huge at that time. Mm. And so I started moving in more of the creative director role in terms of that side of things. And then again, going back to the PR stuff, taking control over campaign ideas and and, and, and the creative angles of that. So yeah, it all bled through. It's, 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 I was saying to someone else the other day, it's a very long, straight career path. You know, some people have very wiggly careers that go all over the place. Mine doesn't. It is a very linear career path. But within that, you're right, it's been PR, marketing, creative, digital. It's, it's all wiggled around in that, if you like. Yeah, because you've won PR, PRCA Digital Journalist of the Year. You didn't, you didn't include that in your introduction. I was letting you big yourself up. So, so you, obviously, <laughs> Digital Journalist of the Year, is that for, is that for your podcast? Yeah. It was, yes, absolutely, yeah. Um, and that was a couple of years ago I won that. Um, and it's it's an award that I didn't enter either, which always means quite a lot. Yeah, you know, nice. Because I, I won the um, Independent Consultant of the Year as well a couple of years before that, which was fantastic, don't get me wrong. It was really great to, to win that, but that's an award that you enter. The Journalist of the Year one was an award given to me, which was, uh, yeah, that was really nice because totally unexpected. And like you said, that was for the podcast as well. So how did you find a difference between being a, being a PR person and a creative director? Cause I know, I know the year yeah. I, we're, we're a similar age. I know the era you're talking about. Uh, I remember yeah. when the BBC website wasn't as interactive as it is today, just like you're saying there. So, yeah. and, and I, I got involved in web design as well. And I know your pain with, can you just move that image to there? Yeah. No, yeah. is the answer to that. <laughs> I'm out. Is it's easy say. now, but then it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's much easier now with C yeah, CMS. Um, so how did you find the difference between being a creative director and a, a, somebody in PR? Or is it just fairly straightforward? For me, I would say it was quite straightforward. Um, on the PR side of things, although that's where I started a lot of my career, I guess, the media relations side of things, which was very strong in those days, wasn't really of ever a great interest to me, even though I was doing it. I wouldn't say I ever had a, a passion for it, if you like. So to move towards the more creative side and the ideas side and, and doing other stuff was just something that interested me. So I, I found it quite a natural move. Yeah, I remember the days of just here's a list. Get into the go into that room and ring every journalist on this li national yep. list. It, it was it's terrifying yep. for every PR professional out there, whoever they are. Absolutely. Even if you enjoy, I enjoy it. I'm good at it. I was good at it. I haven't done yep. it since a long time ago. But um, yeah, it, I can. I am um, the, the campaign stuff. I can imagine is more is more fun. So why don't you tell us then? 
This is the bit that's quite interesting. So then you set up a luxury pet accessories business with your wife, a yep. brand concept yep. called, and you can tell us what it was called and what yeah, it was about. On, no, you go for it. It was called the Pet Extraordinary. <laughs> Extraordinary. Extraordinary. I can't even say that. Extraordinary. Good, yeah. And imagine spelling that on a website. <laughs> www.petextraordinarium.co.uk. Is that, is that, where, is that, was that the first problem? Well, it, do you know what? It wasn't a problem. <laughs> and the reason it wasn't, a, the, the, the concept behind the thing was it was very brand led. It was it, my background, like we talked about, was in creative and branding and stuff. And we had this concept. I don't know where, where this name came from, just brainstorming weird stuff because we wanted something that was weird. Um, <laughs> the fact that key people can't pronounce it or couldn't pronounce it was never really an issue because. If you think about websites, you enter something into a URL maybe or you click a link. You don't necessarily need to be able to pronounce the word you're typing in, which I know sounds weird, but it was fine. It, it was never an issue. Um, but, yeah, this, this whole concept came from – so at the time I was working in an agency in this sort of creative role and my wife was made redundant. And What did, what did your wife decided- do? She was actually at the same agency, but in a different department. So she was running events for that agency. Right, okay. Um, so like business awards and that sort of stuff. She was in control of putting those things in. And she was very good at it, but there wasn't enough ongoing business to support her role. Um, Happy anniversary, by the way. Thank you very much. <laughs> 15 years, wow. Yeah. Um, and so she was made redundant, and we just – we just decided that we wanted to do something for ourselves. It was that simple. And she was and still is obsessed with animals. And, you know, over the course of, I don't know, two or three months, we talked around this thing and decided just to go for it. Um, which was, it, I mean, it was a, a bit of a weird move in a way, given that I'd worked in marketing departments and agencies all my life. Yeah. And then running this pet accessories business so what did what did what sort of stuff did you sell and how did you set it up tell us a bit about what it what it was was it small rabbits or was it you know was it big it was elephant (laughs) saddles what was it yeah it was was your main mainstream pets okay (laughs) so we focused on cats and dogs and rabbits because we had rabbits and um, we knew that there was this market out there for rabbit stuff Hmm. but the, the idea behind it was that the products we would sell were not the sort of tat that you find in a standard pet shop um, now, this is what fifteen, twenty years ago. There was the odd boutique, if we want to call it that word, pet business around selling quite expensive stuff, and we, we wanted to be somewhere in the middle. We didn't want to be this cheap rubbish that you find on the high street. We didn't want to be super expensive because you know there seemed like a small market. So we, we we kind of went for the the middle ground. But everything we sold was. Stuff that was dis- was it might be a cat bowl, but it was designed. It, it looked good to have in your house. That was the idea: is that everything we would sell would be stuff that you would be happy to have in your house. That was the sort of concept behind it. Okay, um, and that ranged from I don't know dog bowls to cat collars to rabbit toys that were actually natural stuff, not cheap plastic stuff. And you know, it was a, it was a big ranging thing. Um, and again, going back to the concept, the concept was a high street store, but something that was more akin to, a, I don't know, the way you might walk into a, a Next, for example. Nicely laid out shop, pleasant to be in, um, 
not your crowded, smelly pet shop, which still exists today, most of those places, don't they? So it was a very, it was a different concept um, to anything that we could find out there. This so, is, is this online purely? Or is it in the real world? To start, with, no, to start with, it was real world. It was a real, it was a bricks and mortar store. Right. Um, and maybe we'll come on to this. It didn't really work. Uh, the first problem we had or encountered was I think we chose a bad place. Location. Um, location, yeah, right. absolutely. It was in, in, a, in a town called Wallingford, which is in Oxfordshire. Um, which has a lot of independent stores. So we thought it would be ideal for this sort of thing. But over the course of, say, six months, it became very apparent that footfall on, on high streets was <laughs> falling down, you know, quite badly. And at this time as well, another thing that went wrong, but <laughs> the timing couldn't have been worse because this just preempted the financial crash of, of 2008. And so the country was going through this real upheaval at that time financially and there's us pops up with this very different thing that people have to sort of get their head around a bit and a cat bowl that whereas you could buy a cat bowl a plastic cat bowl for two quid in your local pet shop you might come to us and it'd be i don't know 15 quid or 20 quid and whilst that isn't a lot of money it is if you just want a cat bowl do you know what i mean yeah so there, there were multiple things that went on with it but yeah the, it was originally back to your point a bricks and mortar store and um, you obviously had um, secure jobs, um, or you did anyway. And then, um, so, <laughs> yeah, so at yeah. what point, you were obviously planning it, at what point did you kind of quit yeah. and think, right, we're going all in on this? Or did you have a bit of a, an overlap period? Nope, we just went all in on it. I love um, it. I don't remember the exact dates. My, my wife was made redundant in, let's say, September, I don't know, September, October time. And I quit that job early December so that we would have a clean break in the new year. So we, we, we kind of worked our way around it for two or three months. And we'd been sort of playing with ideas before that. But so two or three months, quit my job into this thing. Wow. It was, um, okay. Yeah, clean break. And, and, you, uh, and, that, and that was you stood straight behind the counter with the little tavard on taking money over the register. Yeah. It was, absolutely. Wow. It was the two of us. Um, That's exciting so, though, right? That's really exciting, setting up your own business, bricks and mortar, totally different offer. Yeah. Little, it sounds like quite boutique-y. Is that fair? Absolutely. Boutique is the word. It's, it's, it's difficult when you're talking about pets because it sounds a bit poncy, doesn't it? But boutique is the word. It was boutique-y rather than a boutique. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, going back to the original concept was that this would be the first of a number of stores. It wasn't mm -hmm. ever supposed to be just one standalone store. We knew that for the first year, it would be Michelle and I, like you said, standing behind the counter doing everything. We'd have to do everything ourselves because we couldn't afford to hire people. And so we, 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 we went in with our eyes open on that front. But the, the intention was that within maybe a year, we'd have opened a second store somewhere, at which point we would be able to employ people to do the standing behind the counter stuff. Yeah. You know? And was it um, self-funded or did, did you have investment? We, it was self-funded. We took out a, a business loan. Uh, to fund parts of it, which came back to bite us in the butt later. But so we had a business loan, but other than that, purely self-funded, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. And again, you know, had we had investment at that time, maybe it would have gone further, actually. It was, uh, you know, looking back, we were seriously underfunded in, in what we could do with it and how far we could take it with the money we had, just just not enough undercapitalized. 
So at what point did you did you kind of um, realize the bricks and mortar store wasn't working? Because um, knowing when to quit is really important, isn't it? Yeah. And to add, yeah. to add to that, was it not working? And we did you launch a digital offer because of your background in digital? Or did you, did you not? Did you just focus on face-to-face stuff? So I would say we, we kind of realized that actually the store wasn't going to be what we hoped pretty quickly, within six months, I would say. And from six months onwards were... I wouldn't say planning an exit from it, but we're aware that we might have to exit it, which sounds like way too early to be thinking that stuff. But to your point, why continue to do something if you know it's not working? That's just insane. So during that time, yes, then we set up a a website um, to sell e-commerce. So for a while, I would say for, I don't know the exact times, but maybe for three, four, five months, perhaps we were, building the website and having the store as well. So we were running both together. Mm -hmm. Um, Knowing that if we had to quit the store, if we had to shut that down, we would then have at least have a website there to, you know, to put some, took some money behind it and, and make work really well. Yeah, because you'd have the infrastructure, the orders, the, all that stuff, you could yeah. just move it. Rather digital. than having to start from scratch. Exactly, Absolutely. yeah, the experience. So um, family business self-funded yeah. business in the context yeah. of the global financial crisis. Good timing. What, <laughs> yeah. what, was your, um, what was your state of mind like after kind of six to 12 months? It must have been enormously stressful for you guys as you kind of oh, realized, God, the, yeah. realized it wasn't working. I, I, I don't even like to think back to how stressful that time was. Um, we opened the store maybe February, March of, of whatever year it was. And like I said, after sort of six months, we're starting to think this this just isn't going to work. We don't know what to do to attract more people. We're not getting enough people in the door. <clears throat> so, you know, that the last quarter of that year was preparing to shut this thing down, really, and building the website as well. But, yeah, the amount of stress that that caused and leading up to Christmas as well. Now, at that time, we didn't have any kids. So there wasn't the stress of, oh, my God, we've got to buy kids Christmas presents and all that but that year actually at Christmas we we set ourselves tiny little budgets of like 20 quid each you, you can buy each other a present but it's got to be 20 quid it's that sort of stuff and I do remember actually in that last quarter before we shut the shop down there was the odd week where we literally had 30 quid to buy groceries and stuff for the week for the <sighs> two of us and that was it That's- um, Hard. It was. I mean, it was tough. It was really tough. We went through a, a tough patch in the time before we closed that down. And then once we decided to close it, we had to try and negotiate our way out of the lease with the landlord, who was having not a lot of it. Um, <laughs> Standard landlord. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we had the pressure of this bank loan as well, which you know we knew we were going to have to pay back. Um, trying to build the website business. And so the, the stress of it wasn't just leading up in that last quarter and leading to the close of the store. That carried on, I would say, for probably for the whole time we ran that business, which would have been another two years, was stressful financially because we had this bank loan. Um, and we knew that we couldn't just walk away from that, you know. Yeah, it's, it's tough. because So when you got out of it, did you feel 
we, we spoke to, we've spoken to a few people about it and it's somebody that got investment and he was exactly the same thing with what were you saying there, like the pressure of borrowing money off somebody. Yeah. But literally as soon as he did it, he said if the day, the day after one of the investors called him and said, right, you've done it now. You fucked up, right. <laughs> but you, you've, you've taken on the, you know, it's, it's failed. You failed. You can use that yep. to learn for yep. it. Nothing's, you know, nothing's finished. He said he felt a massive sense of relief just from that one phone call. So the bank manager won't do that, though, will they? No, I, God, I wish I'd had that phone call. I really do. Because, I mean, looking back now, I learned so much in that. And I wouldn't be doing what I'm mm. doing now and wouldn't have won awards for it and all that sort of stuff if we hadn't done that business. But it, it's difficult. If I was to go back and say, would I change that? I don't know what the answer is because the amount of stress and financial pressure that we felt for, like I said, not just the time of running that business and running a failed business, which was failing slowly. It wasn't it just even mm. died. It failed slowly over the course of two or three months, uh, years. But it took then, pff, once we came out of it, once, once, once we realised the business itself was failing, not just the store, but a couple of years later. So we'd, we'd done our very best to build this website and it was fine. It was going okay, mm. but it was never, we, we didn't have, like I said, we were undercapitalized. We didn't have the funds to invest into marketing it properly in order to scale it enough. So we were making a living from it, but it was kind of scratching a living really. It wasn't, it was never it never reached the heights that we thought it would and we just couldn't see a way of it doing that because we didn't have the capital behind us mm. um and i guess when when we eventually decided okay enough's enough we've got to close this down you're right the bank manager straight on you um and we had to basically there was a there was a time where we could have lost the house that's because awful. the bank manager was calling in the loan. Um, now, whether they'd eventually ever pressed the button to make us lose our house, I don't know. But living under that pressure where you think, we've got this money to pay back, which we do not have. It wasn't a huge amount. I think it was about 20 grand. But, I mean, that's a lot. When you've got nothing, mm. 20 grand is, you know, might as well have been a million, to be honest. Mm. But... Um, we eventually, well, basically, we had to take a loan from my mum and dad uh, to pay the bank back um, and then pay the loan back slowly to my mum and dad over the course of, I don't know, three or four years. So if, if you take that as a whole, between setting up the business, first six months were fine, and then we realised this ain't as good as we sh it should be. So six months in the shop, two years running it further, and then another three or four years on top of that, you're probably talking the best part of six years of instability let's put it that way and a lot of pressure um i mean we even had to we, we were we were engaged and we were due to get married one one year while we were running this business couldn't afford to we had to cancel the wedding because we couldn't afford to get married um a good tester you know. for your so relationship I, I, though yeah i guess i mean we, we are we're a super strong team and we always have been and you would think you're right. Um, if it's going to fail, it would fail at that sort of time. Yeah. And I guess during that time as well, we had um, – so we eventually did get married and we had a kid a year later, our first child a year later. And that's all in this period of financial stress. So you're right. I mean, all of that together, you think, well, 
we must be quite strong to have withstood that. So why was there one thing that made you pull the plug or did it just get to the point when you thought this isn't working and, and could you have could you and should you have done that earlier do you think? Interesting question. Um, I don't think there was one point. It was a, a, a slow creeping realisation that no matter the ideas we had and no matter my background and learning all this digital stuff, like I said, we didn't have the money to to scale it we just didn't and I then had to go back to working three days a week in an agency so I was doing both my wife had a young child well I had a young child as well <laughs> but she technically gave birth to, to her we'll cut that bit and I said it so you know all of those things together was just this dawning that we can't go on like this forever. Something's got to change. So mm. eventually we just came to the decision that we've got to move on. We've got to put this behind us. And looking back then, is there yeah. one mistake or one fuck up you think, this is what I did wrong? Yeah. Or is it a whole amalgamation of fuck ups and mistakes along the way? <laughs> many, many fuck ups. <laughs> Aside from the fact that no one could say the name. <laughs> um, I, I think the, the first mistake was the location we chose for the store. Mm. Um, but again, I say that, you know, we, we could have gone for, let's say, Oxford Centre, but it would have cost us a fortune in rent, so probably couldn't have done it anyway. But location was the first one. Um, Undercapitalisation, um, didn't anticipate the amount of money that we would need. Uh, and I have to say, fuck up on my part, was that I wasted a lot of the money we did have on advertising um at that time print advertising in cat magazines and dog magazines and rabbit magazines which kind of makes sense mm. but probably put too much into that the, you know t too much advertising money in that arguably we couldn't have afforded our ads were great well i loved them they were from a, a very again like i said this was a brand-led thing yeah so again, you look you look through a dog magazine, and all the ads are pretty poor quality. Picture of a product, dog food with you know, just standard rubbish, and our ads looked amazing. They didn't feature products as such. It was all brand led about this this boutique thing. You need to go and see it, sort of thing. Uh, I'm not sure that works in that industry. You know, mm. uh, again, too disruptive. We tried it, didn't work. Move on. Yeah. yeah question about whether we should have canned it sooner i mean the, the logical answer to that is yes absolutely probably a year before we did um but you know you, you've built or you're trying to build something the last thing you want to do and is is admit defeat and admit you failed mm. because that was the that's the overriding sense that i had about that for years i can talk about it now yeah but for years and years i had this big sense of failure about it personal like, failure really, did, did yeah, you get yeah, personal there's failure. nothing wrong was, with that though. A, you get we look we learn through not, failure that's the whole point isn't it absolutely and I, I totally agree with you now but at that time it didn't feel like that yeah. at all yeah. it just felt this this real sense of failure about it. i felt like i felt like i'd let the family down as much as anything and, and again this is part of me i take things on me yeah now, bearing in mind, I'm in this with Michelle as well, so it's equally as her, but I took it on me. Um, and for years and years, I used to say, 
Uh, I sold the business. We exited the business, which is not untrue, but it's not true anyway because we didn't make any money on it. So, you know, I, I would never admit – I wouldn't have admitted to have being a failure. Well, thanks for, share, is, thanks for sharing it because it's very honest and really interesting to hear. Like, Because a lot of people we, – we've interviewed probably – I mean, we're not as black belt in this area as you are, but we've interviewed a fair few people and some people – you know, candid, and some people are quite, they don't want to really, and you've just opened up there, which, and it's fascinating to hear a personal story and account of, especially of bricks of mortar from a digital, because I, I was putting you down as a digital, you know, e-commerce, e-commerce PR, I was waiting for you to tell me all about the e-commerce side of it, and actually, it was more than bricks and mortar side of it, that you you felt, location, loca- that's why the show's called Location, 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 it is the key <laughs> thing, isn't it? Um, if you get it yeah. right, but you're right, if you have a perfect location, it costs money, and you need you need funding to start. Um, yeah, but, but then, well, I mean, yeah, um, and you're right. When when you say you think of me as like a, a digital person, that's yeah. where it comes from, though, because before that, yes, I'd been doing creative work, but the internet, e-commerce was around, but it hasn't really taken off at that time. After that, I was all in with the digital stuff. Yeah, so you know, it it, it changed me in that way for the better, and that's why I said. And you're talking about learning from failure. That's exactly what happened. But that that was coupled with this horrible sense of and, failure, you know. And can you both still love pets? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> we've had, you know what, even since then, we've had countless rabbits. We've got a dog. We've had cats. Yeah. We've got chickens. So, yes, that's not impacted that. Okay, good. <laughs> and and no regrets then. I mean, the, the, the toughest of possible times, personally, for your marriage, <coughs> for your finances, yeah. Yeah. no regrets. Don't know the answer to that question. I honestly don't. Um, like I said, if I could go back and change it, would I? I don't know. In in theory, if I could go back and change it, we wouldn't have gone through all that stress and financial pressure. It wouldn't have taken us years to get out of a financial hole. But would I be doing what I am now if I hadn't made that change in Korea at that time? Who knows? Possibly not. So I don't know. Okay, so let's move on to the next stage then. So then you, 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 yeah. the business. So then what did you do then? You, the business shut down. You know, yeah. you went and kicked something and then came back and went, right, I've got to start my career again. Where am I going to go? Yeah. What, what did you do? So, as I said, I, I'd started working part-time for uh, a PR agency. And I think, I don't, I don't remember 100%, but I think I moved up to full-time, I think. But that kind of went tits up as well. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Um I moved. I started working at this agency, and the agency had a very, very strong-minded boss. Uh, the MD, uh, big personality, knew what she wanted, was not shying telling people what she wanted and how she wanted it done. I can't relate to that. And for <laughs> for the first few months, absolutely fine. Got on with her like a house on fire. Um, this was in a sort of creative director role and helping out on, on the bits of digital and stuff was going really well. And then I, I took paternity leave for two weeks, yeah. legally entitled to yeah, paternity leave. Yeah, yeah. Came back and it was like, it was like I'd taken a dump on a office floor or something. Click she that. just. <laughs> <laughs> There's a quote. 
it, it was it. The change in attitude was absolutely unbelievable. I, to this day, I don't know what happened in that two weeks, if anything happened, yeah. or whether she didn't like the fact that I was offered two weeks on paternity leave. I don't know. Right. But from then on, our relationship, her and my relationship, just deteriorated rapidly. <clears throat> Bit, bit weird um, that, isn't it? Because paternity, you're yeah. entitled to take it. It's part of yeah. It's I know, a good time. I know. You only get those two weeks of your life with your child once. Yeah. Like, why would you be yeah. upset about that? I don't really. I don't know. And I, like I said, I don't know that that was the case. But there was something different when I came back from those two weeks. I, I, yeah. I don't know what it was. But anyway, our relationship then deteriorated, and. Basically, I, I think it was about four or five, maybe six months after I came back, I just quit the place without another job in hand. Uh, and bearing in mind what I've just said about the financial pressures we were under, to then have to feel like I needed to quit a job without having something else to go to tells you perhaps how how bad it had got. The, the tipping point was <laughs> actually it was one evening I was at home and an email pinged. And it was an email from the boss, supposedly to someone else, but she'd accidentally put me as the recipient. Basically, uh, oh, this is good. Someone. Record email. Record <laughs> this email. is good. Brilliant, huh? Go on. What so, did she say? <laughs> this is gold. I can't. I don't remember the wording, but it was allow. It was around me being super arrogant, and uh, I can't remember what else. But it was. It was. You know. It wasn't a long. But it was enough to make me go, for fuck's sake, come on. <laughs> we've, all, um, we've all done so, that, haven't we, Chris? Send, send a, the wrong email to the wrong person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> recall, was, recall. We have a... Yeah. But she hadn't realised, which was, which was brilliant. So I'd already been thinking about leaving because it, would, it just got to this, you know, really bad, really bad relationship. So, you know, I, I talked to Michelle about it and we were like, okay, quit so the next day so i printed off this email and the next day oh. went into the office and put it on her desk oh. and, and basically said, i'm sorry but i'm leaving I, i'm not putting up with this anymore and her attitude funnily enough was not one of oh i'm really sorry you know that shouldn't have gone to you it was well if we got on better it would be a problem would it and i was like are you serious <laughs> Mm. So anyway, yeah. So I left that job. So, so <laughs> did you just walk? Did you just walk? Bad to worse. Did you just walk at that point, or or did you have to do the whole? Oh, I've got to be here for three months because I'm a creative director. <laughs> like that's so awkward. No, I, here's here's your email. Had... See you in uh, three months. I'll just be sat opposite you over there. <laughs> yes, I had. I think I had a month's notice on my contract. Oh, okay, which she made me work out. <laughs> of course, she did. So I, I, I'm going to the office. And it's an office of maybe 15, 20 people, I think, at that time. Maybe 20. Yeah, something like that. But, yeah, being in the same office. <laughs> Tumbleweed every just, day. Just bizarre. Yeah, we've yeah, all been there. Yeah, so absolutely bizarre. One of my questions was going to be what um, kind of provoked you to become a, um, a sole trader and, you know, a consultant. <laughs> and, and you've just answered that brilliantly. So thank you. Yeah, so, well, so, so the, simple, yeah. the simple life now. No, no staff. Just uh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, at, at that time, you think actually, yeah, that that wasn't the time I did go independent. Or maybe I should have, but from there, I went to work for an agency, another agency, which was the as funny enough, it was the agency I worked with prior to setting up the the um, the e-commerce business. Right. So I went back to that company. Um, it was just a timing thing. They were looking for someone in digital, 
to head up, you know, and bring on their digital people, help train in, in-house. <clears throat> Social media was really coming to the fore at that time, and they didn't have any skill in that, so they wanted someone who knew this side of things in SEO. So I went in there as the, as the, as the digital guy, basically. So, and now, and now you're, you're, you're freelance now, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How long yeah. have you been freelance? Uh, nine years. Okay, yeah. so the thing about being freelance, I was freelance for, I can't remember how many years, but I was freelance for a while, earned better money than I'd ever earned at an agency, and then nearly, nearly yeah. like, I was literally on holiday somewhere, the only holiday, and I was getting, I was doing meetings on holiday, I was calling people, trying to deal with client scenarios, I was making better money, but it just, I was burnt out even on holiday. So how do you, how right. did you, how have you found balancing freelance? Because it's not just about delivering the work anymore. It's about winning the work, delivering the work, being around, doing, mm. doing podcasts with two hilarious individuals from Leeds, that sort of thing. How, yeah. How do you balance it? Um, I, I, I've never really had a problem with this, but I, I know others do, and especially when you're new to freelancing. I think when I when I first set up, it takes a while to get out of the being employed mindset for a start. So I would, when I was first working, I, I would be thinking, okay, my, my, my working time is nine to five. And I sit down at my desk, I do a nine to five day, and then I have my evenings myself, like you do when you're employed. It took me quite a long time to break out of that habit. I was quite fortunate. Well, not fortunate. It was by design. When I when I decided to go freelance, um, I I negotiated a contract with an agency of someone I knew who who ran this agency, and that, again they were looking for digital support. So I managed to negotiate a. It was either two and a half or three days a week as a freelancer for them, as a contracted freelancer. And that gave me the security to be able to go freelance because now suddenly I'm working two and a half, three days a week, which gives me the same money effectively that I was earning when I was employed, but with two days a week where I can start developing what I want to do. You know, I can develop my business and get other clients and, and do that sort of stuff. So that contract lasted I think a good couple of years and it really set me up. It really set me going because I didn't have that worry about where's the next business coming from. Um, but back to your point, I think that's probably why it took me such a long time to break out of that being employed mindset. Cause I sort of was still employed a bit in a way. Um, but balancing it now, I mean, like I said, I've been doing this nine years now, so I'm, I'm so used to it. Balancing it, I have no problem with it in terms of if I've got a project on that I um, let's say I sit down to tomorrow and I, I want to work on a project, but I sit down and my mind is just not in it and I try and I can't do it. I have no problem then going, right, I'm binning off today or this morning and I'm going to go out and do something else, um, knowing full well that I'll have to pick that time up somewhere else which might be an evening or a weekend or maybe up and cram it into next week, whatever, or get up early. But that balance is there. I just, I don't know, I work when I need to and when I can, but if I can't work or don't need to work, then I don't. But it did take a long time to learn. Mm. What, if, if, if you could give somebody, so there'll be people out here listening to this, marketers, comms yeah. people, if they want to go freelance, what's your like? What's your like top three tips for going freelance? Cool, blimey, that's a big question. 
I think one of the biggest things is belief. I was talking to someone I know just last week, actually, who is just setting up as a, a freelancer. And I was trying to help her with her, her charging structure and what she was charging for a specific project. And she was going through this this typical thing of questioning the value you're adding. So how much am I – she was going through how much am I charging per hour? Is that enough per hour? You know, am I, am I charging too much? I feel a bit bad about it. And I was just – you just have to believe in yourself. You really do. They, I, I've just started – if I may do a plug here, I've just started a, a community for freelancers called The Hive, which is the hive.rocks, everybody. Um, but we were having a conversation yesterday about about ego, and I, I put the question to the group about whether you need an ego to be a free or how much of an ego you need to be a freelancer <laughs> because you've got to believe in yourself. Yeah. If you don't, no one else is going to, you know? You haven't got someone, you haven't got some a, a team leader sat up there saying, oh, you're great, you know, just keep going at it. If you don't do it, no one's no one's helping you. So you have to have a bit of... I don't know if ego is the right word, self-esteem, self-confidence, whatever. Um, you can develop that, but you have to have it. And one of the biggest things is trust your gut. Anyone who is starting out as a freelancer, trust your gut, what you think. The number of times over the years, I well, again, this is the thing I've come to, I think, is that now I listen to my inner voice all the time. If I've got a potential client and there's something quite not quite right about it and I can't put my finger on it, more than often than not, I will turn that down, even if I don't know why I'm turning it down, because it doesn't feel right. And it's not something you can explain to anyone. No. Maybe you guys have it with clients. I don't no, know. Do. I do. But I do. I have that. I have that have quite that regularly. Gut, you know? Yeah. It's like an intuition, I th I isn't it? It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you think about it, the times you haven't followed that intuition probably haven't worked out that well. No, it kicks you in the balls. It does. Yeah. Absolutely. And then you go, why did I, why? I knew. That Another thing I guess I would say is that it, this is a difficult one, actually, and maybe this is too personal to me, but after a while you, you, you learn to accept that if you're having a quiet month or a quiet couple of months – don't stress about it too much. As long as you keep doing what you're doing in terms of putting yourself out there and, you know, improving your website or whatever you're doing, as long as you're doing stuff, the work will come. And I know it's it's difficult when you're starting out, but, you, again, it's, it's this trust thing. Um, I've learned that I, shouldn't, I should touch wood heavily on this. My year so far has been pretty awful. Don't know why. It's, it's, it's probably the economy, you know, things going on. And the last four or five months of my business have been bloody terrible. But I'm not sitting here panicking about it yet. Um, this is probably the, the worst patch I've ever had in nine years. But I still have the belief that the work will come at some stage. So can everyone send a £10 donation to paulsutton.com <laughs> yeah. and he'll be delighted. Absolutely. <laughs> if you enjoyed this, if you enjoyed this interview, so um, that's that's um, that's some good advice, I think, for freelancers. So, look, looking at the types of clients you work with, then, so we, something you talk about a lot is the need to kind of demystify digital bullshit. I think was the yeah, yeah. The, the phrase you used. Yes. So, what, I like that. Yeah. is digital particularly bad for bullshit? You know, what 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 are we oh, talking it, here? It's, 
It's terrible. The amount of jargon that advertisers and SEO people are the worst. I'll just touch base the with amount you. Of <laughs> the amount of crap that is that is used to... I don't know whether it's used on purpose to cloud things or whether it's just the language that's grown up around certain industries or sectors that your everyday client doesn't know what the hell people are talking about. It's 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 awful. And the sorts of clients I tend to get really, really appreciate straight talking. If you think something's crap, I say it's crap. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit better than that, but you know what I mean? And what I don't do, I, I try and translate everything I do into plain English. So that if, you know, I, I've seen, for example, with SEO, if I've seen SEO reports from SEO agencies that are 20 pages long, full of stats and all sorts of stuff, and the client hasn't got a faintest idea what this, this is saying. So if I'm doing an SEO report, it tends to be two or three pages of the key stats and then an analysis, which is just talking in English. And it's just a, it's, it's an example of, like you said, it demystifying and getting around all the mm. bullshit that is out there because there's so much of it. It's Acro awful. Acronym city, isn't it? There's acronyms yeah, for absolutely. absolutely everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Professional yeah. storytellers. That's what we're doing. Yeah, that's my lead. <laughs> we're telling stories. <laughs> when did that become a thing? St everyone referring to themselves as storytellers. I, it's, I, I well, it's now, it's now moved from uh, business sales to business growth hackers, isn't it? Now, oh, now it's biohacking. Yeah. That's another one. There's a lot, yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of this terminology yeah. around technology and, um, yeah, social media was a big one, and now it's AI. That's it's, we've we've covered that quite a lot with Andrew Bruce Smith, and we had Wads, yeah. who I know is on your show. So, can we talk a bit yeah. about your? I mean, let's we've we've not talked about. I mean, the freelance side of things. You're talking about, you know, yeah. um, obviously, you know, you're available for work, which is great. Um, yep. Did you start the podcast? So your, your podcast, the plug for the podcast because it's very good. It's called Digital Download. I've been listening for years. You've been doing it for. Since 2018, was it or something? Yeah, yeah, five years. Yeah. So you, you saw the pandemic coming and you started two years, three years before that, which is brilliant. <laughs> That's real, like, vision. That's foresight, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so so what, why did you start it? And, yeah, what what, what, have you, what have you found about doing it? Tell us a bit about the podcast. I, st I started it because people kept saying me, to me, you need to have a podcast. It's, it's that simple. I've been blogging for maybe 10 years, I would say. Um, yeah, it had been about 10 years. I'd been blogging steadily all that time. And people kept saying to me, you should have a podcast because podcasting was starting to really take off around this sort of time, 2017, 2018. But no one in the marketing comms, well, no, I say no one. There were very few marketing comms type podcasts around at that time, at least good ones anyway. People were having a go, doing one episode, three episodes and canning it, that sort of thing. So there was an opportunity there. Um, I had put it off for at least six months, maybe a year, because I knew nothing about podcasting, nothing whatsoever. Didn't know how to record a podcast, let alone go through the process of editing and publishing and all that stuff. Um, and eventually, as a as a result of being hounded about it, I just thought I should do it because I need to learn this stuff. And I'm a firm believer that the best way of learning something is to do it. And if I screwed it up, fine, no problem. Okay, so I decided, okay, I'm going to do one season of this podcast. How many episodes is that? See how I go with it. It was going to be, I think it was maybe 10 episodes I lined up. And it was a chance to firstly see whether I liked doing it. Secondly, see whether there would be any interest in this whatsoever. 
so therefore, whether it had potential for me as a, you know, as a helping me with my business. And then thirdly, it was just a chance to learn how this stuff. I learned, you know, I, I didn't go any courses or anything. I learned how to use Audacity in order to edit a podcast together and how to plug it into hosting platforms and all this sort of stuff. I just learned how to do it. Um, and that was, yeah, five years ago. Um, and it's just gone from strength to strength, which, um, I mean, it's pretty amazing that it's still going after five years. I've now done well over 100 episodes. It's just come back after an entire year. I was going to say, you've been doing it five years, but one of those years you haven't been doing it. Not five years. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it got to to last summer. And and yeah, at the start of last summer, and I was going to have a break anyway because uh, you might find this out once you've started doing them every week or two. There comes a point where you just need a bit of a break from it. So I was going to have a break over the summer and I was intending on coming back with a new season in September. September passed, October passed, November passed. I had a lot of stuff going on personally, with which I won't go into, but it was causing a lot of stress. Uh, and my mum and dad were ill, uh, a lot of family stuff going on. Then early this year, my dad died and it was just all of this stuff and... I just I just didn't want to get back to doing the podcast. Yeah. I, at that time, I would have thought, if you'd have said to me, no, you're going to pick this up again in July or when I started doing it, I'd have gone, nah, I'm done. Um, but, again, people started asking me, where's the podcast gone? How come? And, and I was like, do you know what? I really should get back to doing it because I'd noticed as well, saying I'm having a bad year, this is only a correlation thing. I can't I can't mm. attribute causation to it, but I believe there's a correlation between me not doing the podcast for a year and business drying up a bit. But you say um, that because I was going to say you you had a you had a week you had a year's break, sorry. Yeah. Did your downloads continue going up because your your digital let's say digital media space is was already there. So you you know you had 90 in the can or whatever. They're still sat there. Yeah. Building away like like blog posts, like indexing on on all the podcast channels. Absolutely, so you would think you'd still get inquiries and in business from the podcast, right? Uh, possibly. I mean, I, again, I don't know the answer to that, but you're right. Just just because I wasn't recording new episodes doesn't mean that people weren't listening to old episodes. Um, but when you stop publishing new episodes, your your listenership does go down. I mean, quite drastically as well. It's not that it's not being listened to, but you're not doing anything to promote it unless you continue promoting old episodes, obviously. Um, and not putting out new episodes means that the people who listen regularly aren't coming back to you and talking to people about it. And, and that's the way podcasting works. It's, you know, you get introduced to people who, from from sort of word of mouth, someone will say to someone, have you listened to this podcast? They'll listen to it, come back, listen to four or five episodes, and then come to you and say, I've been listening to a few episodes. We've got this project on, that sort of thing. Well, on that, um, actually, I was, I was going to ask you, what, why do you do it? You know, when we have a lot of conversations with our clients and everyone has different yeah. objectives for doing a podcast. What are the yeah. what are the benefits as an individual or as a business of, of doing a podcast? There are several, I think. I mean, from a business perspective, I would say it's the best thing I've ever done for my business. Wow. Um, and that is having gone back, like I said, I've been blogging for 10 years. I used to use Twitter like relentlessly all the time. And for the first probably three or four years of my business, it was the blog and Twitter that kept things, you know, get, getting me leads. Um, 
but the podcasting kind of th- took things to a whole new level where, like I said, people talk about a podcast and they refer you on to other people to listen to the podcast, which then leads to business. So and lead, I know lead, I, I can't put a – go on, sorry. Sorry. Uh, so you're talking lead generation as, as, as a big benefit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I can't put a figure on it, a financial figure, but I, I know for a fact I've had many clients who have come to me having listened to the podcast. So it's tens of thousands of pounds of, of, of financial value. Okay. From a personal level, I just love doing it. It's great to talk to people and get introduced to people, and you know, it's it's something I enjoy doing. So, what, what, I I remember am I am I remembering this rightly? So I remember that you shared Twitter or LinkedIn somewhere because I've followed you for years, and it said, "Was it seventy thousand downloads or something? How many? Or was it ten thousand downloads? Have I ever exaggerated? Uh, it's it's around about. I I don't know the figure now. Maybe. See, this is it. I I don't keep up with my stats nowadays. I should do, but it's around about fifty thousand, I think. Which is amazing, isn't it? Fifty thousand people have spent an hour with you, listening to Mm. you and your saxophone. (laughs) And this is it with podcasting. People listen to podcasts when they're out walking the dog or doing the dishes, or you know, it's dead time when you're doing something else, and they will spend an hour or half an hour, however long your episode, they will listen to the entire thing. If you write a blog post, people will skim read it. Even if you write a thousand words, they're going to read a hundred words of that Yeah, and spend one minute with your content. With a podcast, they spend half an hour or an hour with your content. I know nothing else does that, and nothing. So you had 50,000 downloads. You've got 50,000 yeah. downloads of your podcast, say. What was the biggest game changer to get in downloads for you? When did you see the hockey stick of growth? On your because having started a podcast, we've seen slow growth and then gradual growth, and now it's picking up every yeah. month. But when did you see the yeah. hockey stick, and what was the tactic that did that? You know, if I'm honest, I don't think there has been a that 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 hockey stick moment, if you like. What what I have seen <laughs> again, I have to I have to skip the last year and go back a year, but up until a year ago, what I was seeing was steady growth. Um, I try, I've tried all sorts of different tactics in terms of making it grow. You know, I've got an email list. Um, I've tried advertising. I've used Facebook advertising and LinkedIn advertising and all sorts of things. I wouldn't say there is one tactic that suddenly made it take off. It's been a consistent growth through that sort of three-year, three, four-year period, um, which I personally have been very happy with. Other people would look at that and go, hang on a minute, it hasn't just rocketed. You know, so I'm curious. We've talked about podcasting from an individual perspective so far. Um, should yeah. companies be podcasting as well? And if so, how can you know what what kind of benefits can a company get from doing that? I firm, I'm a firm believer in podcasting. Full stop. Um, and I, I do actually help a couple of companies with their podcast in terms of production and editing and, and that sort of stuff. Um, the key to it, to me, is to do something that is a bit different um and by that i mean i mean not sounding like every other podcast out there if you're going to do a company podcast it's got to it's got to have a an angle to it or you know it's got to have something different about it to why should i choose your company podcast over the the five others from your main competitors so it's it's got to it's got to be it's got to have life, I suppose. I, I, I don't know how to define that word, but 
I, I see a lot of podcasts, and these are the ones that generally last five or ten episodes, and then you never see them again. And there's mm. a ton of them out there. But it's because they've not put any thought to production. Like you guys, right? I've put this together, but you've gone all in on production values. Yeah. So it, it looks good. It sounds good. You've thought about the the niche, if you like, of, of what you want to talk about. So you, you've thought about You haven't just bought a microphone, started chatting to people with shit quality sound in in dull tones. And, and you know, I, there's so many of those things out there. If you're going to do that, don't bother, you know. But if as a company you're prepared to invest a bit of time and effort into thinking about those things and investing a bit of time and money into it, then absolutely. Because, I, you know, the chances of your competitors doing that are probably quite small. And what kind of benefits can businesses expect to get from a podcast? Is it similar um, to an individual, you know, brand awareness, lead gen, or is there other benefits as well? I think they're the main things. I think a lot of it is brand awareness and it's to do with reputation. If you go back to PR, having a podcast is all about positioning, really. So if I'm listening to your podcast, I am getting a, a perspective of you. Oh God! You know, you, 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 you as yeah, absolutely you. <laughs> so you as an <laughs> individual, fine. but you as a company, I, I get a feeling for you, right? If I listen to you every week or two weeks over time, I am I am far more likely when I have uh, a requirement for whatever it is you offer to come to you than mm. your competitors. I, I see podcasting as almost like warming up your audience. It, it's credibility building. It's you know, it's all that sort of stuff. Mm. So that you're front of mind when, 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 when I need something. It's better for personality as well, like because I've read. Oh God, yeah. You were a blogger. I was a blogger, and still do. And Stuart, I know lots of them. We've had some of them on the show, and some of them are coming, going to come on the show. But I think podcasting provides that extra, as Twitter did. X uh, provided some sort of personality to the wider, long, lengthy articles. Podcasting, video, it brings that extra level of. Um, personality and authenticity to it so you get a feeling for that person you think good god I couldn't work with Will Ockenden sadly I've already signed a contract with him so I've got to but you know <laughs> the people out there they they'll, they'll, they want more of this do you know what I mean and that's, yeah, what, that's what you're talking about I, I totally agree with you 100% agree with you it, you know you, you either decide you do or don't want to work with someone based on mm-hmm. listening to podcasts and more often than not if you're doing a good job it should be I do want to work with you you know Many thanks to Chris and Will for inviting me on to Socially Unacceptable. Go and listen to more shows on your favourite podcast platform. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.